0: good morning. Um, Ethan told me to introduce myself. So if you can't tell, I'm shorter than Luke. <laughs> so, I was like, oh, what is he? Because you can always see more of him. Uh, my name is Josue Pernillo. Josue might be a name you're not familiar with. It's Spanish for Joshua, but I usually introduce myself by saying Jose is, uh, Josue is Jose with more swag or flavor. <laughs> it's just the, uh, Because people usually laugh, and then they remember it. And they're like, hey, Josue, I'm like, hey, you know? That's usually how that conversation goes. Um, I love my dog. That's probably a given if you've talked to me long enough. Um, I love movies. Uh, I love going on bike rides and spending time in my garden. Now, I don't say I'm a gardener yet. My sister's more of the gardener. But I'm, like, getting there. I'm growing in my gardening prowess. And I got my first cherry tomatoes. They're not like ripe yet. They're still green. And I felt the grace of God in my life because it's like the first time I ever got tomatoes. I was very happy. Um, I'm really glad to be here with you this morning. Um, As Ethan mentioned, I just graduated from seminary. um, And I consider it a privilege to be able to come here and share God's word. So if you could please turn with me. To Philippians 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. And the title of today's sermon is The Gospel and Friendships. So if you're there, give me an amen. 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 All right. Thank you. It makes me more comfortable. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> I'm reading from the ESV Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and priests from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of the grace both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn yearn for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we could gather together. Thank you that we could come here and study your word. Please bless us and strengthen us as we look into your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I was having an argument a couple years ago, not an argument, like a lively conversation with one of my peers about the 1986 classic, Rob Reiner film called Stand By Me. Now, if you don't know Stand By Me, I won't, you know, I won't tell the whole tale, but it's about four childhood friends that, like, go on a journey, and it's, like, amazing, and River Phoenix is in it. It's a really great movie. But one of the things that we were arguing about is, my friend told me, and I thought about it for a long time, it's, the thing about that movie is, it reminds you that the friendships you have in childhood are probably the best friendships you have in your life. That's what their argument was. And I was like, I don't know about that. Like, we're friends, and then like, are we, you know? Uh, but that's one of the things about the movie. It reminds me like, oh, that's what the author, it's based on a Stephen King novel, that the friends that you have from childhood or the friendships that you have in childhood, they're never replicated or they're never the same. And there is some truth to that in saying the older that you get, it is more difficult to make friends simply because you're busier simply because there's more things to do, or there's certain things that you like to do. So we make friends at the different sports that we do, or the different books that we read, or the different places that we go, or the clubs that we're a part of. But as life gets busier, it is true that it is harder to make friends. But today, as we look into the letter of the Philippians, we see friendship. We see friendship between Paul and the Philippian believers. This letter, this particular letter, is called uh, prison epistle. There's four that we consider that, and this one's usually taken individually because the suffering that Paul is going through in this letter is usually harsher or is understood to be harsher by scholars than in other prison epistles. So Paul, most likely in Rome, near his death, writes a letter to his friends. So you're wondering, it's like, oh, where's the friendship in the letter? We see that in the first two verses. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. This is the only time in all of his epistles where that specific structure happens. In Romans, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, and an apostle called by Christ. In Colossians, he says, Paul, Paul, an apostle, and Timothy, your brother. Never, in any other letter... Does Paul just say a servant? With Timothy in this case. And the fact that he mentions, as you see at the end of verse 1, with the overseers and the deacons, it's the only time that ever happens. In any of his letters, it's the only mention of them. And it's here. And so the question is why? Why doesn't he mention that he's an apostle? Why doesn't he say like, listen to me, you know? Because he didn't need to, is what some scholars say. Because they knew him They cared for him. They were friends. The language of the letter itself is one of intimacy. There's so many beautiful, beautiful themes in the letter. There's humility and joy and gospel living, but there's also friendship. And within these first 11 verses, you get a sense of what the whole letter is about. One Bible commentary titled the whole introduction to Philippians is this, the apostle and his friends. And so what do we learn? Paul suffering, writing to a people who were suffering, the Philippians. The thing that prompted this letter of friendship was the fact that they had sent him help in his hour of need. And so we have friendship, but we also have the gospel. He says, to all the saints, this is verse one, in Christ Jesus. And that sort of structure right there, in Christ Jesus, is something that if you, you miss it, but it's repeated often within, within Philippians, in Christ Jesus. And even in verse two, grace and peace to you from God our Father. It was traditional to send letters and say like, oh, you know, grace to you. That was traditional in the culture. But grace and peace to you is a Christianization of that. He's saying that from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. So there's two things, even from these two verses that we understand about this letter. It's about friendship, and it's about the gospel. And it's about how these two interact in the lives of believers. And how two people that are, two groups of people, Paul and the Philippians. Paul and his, Timothy in this case, and the Philippians are going through difficulties in separate places, but in somehow, some way are brought together by the gospel in friendship. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How the gospel impacts our friendships and our relationships. And we're going to talk about it in three points. The gospel and thanksgiving, the gospel and love, and the gospel and hope. So to point one. I, I code for a living so I'm just going to be like really in that way I'm just going to re- keep repeating things because that's how my mind works. If it gets annoying please don't tune out. Um, So first, Gospel and Thanksgiving. Look at me to verses 3 through 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now. So Paul is thanking God as he remembers the Philippians and as he prays for them. He's filled with joy because of their partnership in the gospel all right a couple things to mark it's again paul is playing sort of on the culture of the day where it was traditional to say i think athena or i think (laughs) i i don't remember any other greek gods ethan can help me later so and so for you but here he says i think my god in all of my remembrance of you. And in that word remembrance, there is a connotation of prayer, as I think of you, as I reflect on you. It's sort of like, remembrance in this case, it's like, it's not when you tell your friend to go buy you french fries from McDonald's. It's from when your friend goes to McDonald's and gets you french fries anyways, because he knows you like them. It's that sort of remembrance. They remember what you like, they remember what you're like. And as he remembers them, he's thankful. As he prays for them in verse 4, he's filled with joy. And there's another thing that's interesting. So it says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. That word all, or also translated here every, is constantly repeated in Ephesians. Always, in every, always, all of you together. Because what Paul is emphasizing is the unity of the church. So whenever you see all and every, in the original language, it's the same word. So if you're reading you're like, oh, it's like he's repeating it a lot. Because that's what he's emphasizing always in every prayer of mine. For you all, making my prayer with joy. So as he considers all of them, he's thankful and he's joyful. And the question is, why? And that's why we have verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now. And that word partnership is key. Because it's the same one in Acts 2. When all the believers gathered together and they were in fellowship. It's the same word. In Corinthians when the believers gathered together for communion. It's that same word. Fellowship here can mean the sharing of gifts with the, which the Philippians had done. It can mean the sharing of life. It can mean coming together. It's a unity. Uh, Usually in seminary, they tell you not to repeat the Greek words, like in a sermon. But this one I will, because I think it's pretty common. The word is koinonia. It's together. That's what he's saying. We're in it together. And for that, I'm thankful. For that, because we're in it together, when I pray, I'm filled with joy. And in his culture and context, That's shocking because Philippi, even though it was in Macedonia, is a Roman city. And the Roman culture of that day was about honor and glory. It was about those who were above. And the relationships that you built were with those that could advance your social standing, that could bring you glory and honor and respect. But Paul's not like that. Paul doesn't talk to them just like a great benefactor that looks down on them. He stands next to them. I'm a servant of Christ. You're the saints of Jesus in Philippi, and we have fellowship. That's what he's saying. He expresses gratitude and joy for them. He thinks, my God, for them. He's thankful to God for the provision of fellowship. That's what the gospel does. They are his gospel family. That's what he recognizes. That is what brings them together in this situation. That is the friendship that they share because of the gospel, because he says in your partnership in the gospel, in the gospel, which again, the introduction, this 11 verses give you the note of the entire letter of Philippians. The word gospel, Evangelion, is repeated 17 times in this letter alone. It's in the gospel that they have friendship and fellowship and they're brought together and he's thankful for that. They're brought together by the gospel. Um, I've had a lot of roommates over the years, Christians and non-Christians, but he's not here today. I asked him if it was okay, but I remember one of the first Christian roommates that I had, and he was like very Christian. I'm like, I'm Christian, but he was like, oh man, like I would come home and he would be like singing with his guitar. And I'm like, dude, it's like 9 o'clock. Like, you know, like, can we go to sleep? Or like, you know, he's like, let's go to morning prayer. I was like, oh, okay. Or like, let's read together. And, uh, you know, at first I was like, because I mostly knew what it was like to, you know, when you're living on your own, you just take care of yourself, right? But what a blessing it was to have a friend who loved Jesus, who challenged me when he sang, we were brought together by the gospel, and we're still friends to this day. I still have his stuff in my garage for some reason. He like texted me this week. He's like, hey, somebody's dropping something off. He's not even in town. Like, I don't understand. It's like, OK. We, two here are brought together by the gospel. It's important to say because it can be presumed upon. What brings us together is not that we like the same books. It's not that we like the same movies or sports teams. It's not that we have the same sense of humor. It's not that we like the same music or style. It's Jesus. And the fact that we're all here together is a provision from God, and we can be thankful for that. It's not saying that, you know, that we don't disagree on certain things or there are times where we have conflict. But it is saying that the fact that we can gather here this morning, that we can laugh together, pray together, sing together, is something to be thankful for. And it's something to rejoice over because God is good. And the gospel brings us together too. So that is how the, the, thinks, the gospel and thanksgiving Second, the gospel and love. Because of Jesus, we can love each other. If you look at me to verses 6 through 8. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you're all partakers with me of of grace both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel for God is my witness I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. So here, again, the apostle begins by sharing the assurance that he has that God, in verse 6, will bring the good work that he has in the life of the Philippians to completion. In the day of Christ Jesus. The emphasis there being that he's reminding a church that is struggling under internal tensions and external pressures that God is the one that gives them perseverance that's what he's saying. But what's interesting, in verse 7, he says, "It is right for me to feel this way about you all." Which is sort of confusing, right? Cuz he's saying like Christ will sustain you to the end. It's good for me to feel that way. It's like, wait, "Why is it good for you to feel that way?" And it's because that word to feel, it doesn't just mean to have emotions over. It means that the entire disposition of Paul is of one of love towards the Philippians. It is appropriate for him, the apostle that came and established the church, to feel that way about them. To have, it's not only the heart, but the intellect, the disposition, and the actions. And so what is it that he feels, or what is his disposition towards them? Because I hold you in my heart. That's verse 7. And this is one of the most complicated phrases that I think I've read, ever read from Paul, because what does he mean, right? Is it like very metaphorical and metaphysical, saying like, I really care for you. You're in my heart, I really love you. Is it just a really roundabout way of saying it? But in, if you look at the original language, it also means, because you hold me in your heart. And it, I think it's purposefully left vague these were the people that, as Paul was struggling in prison, they were fledgling. They didn't have enough money. They sent him support. They have a tender place in his heart, and he has a tender place in their heart. He holds them there. And it is this partnership, again, as you see, for you are all partakers which is a play on words, on the word that we talked about previously, fellowship, because you are partakers with me. You're partners with me. You're with me in my most difficult moment. Proverbs seventeen seventeen holds true for them. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born in adversity. It is the love that is shared between two people that are going through it together, that are struggling together even though they're separated by great distance, even though they haven't seen each other, and they might never again. He loves them. There are partakers with this of him. There are partakers, as we see in verse 7, you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The play on words here is really interesting because what he's saying is you're with me in the good times and you're with me in the bad. You're with me when things are great and people are flocking and you're with me when I'm in prison and all abandon me. They share with him and that's why in verse 8 he says, for God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affections of Christ Jesus. The deep longing he has to see them, to love them, to be with them. But the key there is, with the affections of Christ Jesus. Because one, that's a bold statement in and of itself, right? Like, God is my witness. I love you. It's like, like, uh, who can say that, right, to anybody else? Paul apparently could. Because what is he saying? What does with the affections of Christ mean? And scholars argue. But one of the things it can mean is that God himself supplied the love to Paul's heart so that he could love them. The source of the love was of Christ Jesus. What it can also mean, and it is unclear from the language, is that the manner in which he loves them is the manner of Christ. It's the way that Jesus loves the church. It's the self-sacrificial, self-giving, putting others above yourselves that we see in chapter 2. It is that sort of love where you love others as you love yourselves. You put the needs of others first to treat each other with humility. And I personally think it's both, you know? I don't, don't quote me on that. Like if you go argue with a Greek scholar, I'm sure he had, just ask Ethan later. But. <laughs> but here it is, here's what I think. Paul is saying, because he has been loved by Jesus, because he has been met by Christ, because the gospel has filled his heart, he loves them. And he loves them in the way that Christ loved him and humility, and patience, and kindness. Paul himself in other letters calls himself the foremost of sinners. And it's true what what says in the Gospels, they who have been forgiven much, love much. The source of love is Christ. The manner of love is Christ. That's what Paul is saying to a church that was with him in his struggles, and he's with them in their struggles. The church that was with him in his joy as he's with them in their joy. They have been through it together, and God will complete the good work in both of their lives. He had freely received love, and he was the one most longing to love in such a manner. But it is difficult to love well. I um, a couple years ago, uh someone really close to me died. And it was like sudden. And uh, like, I'm really bad about that. Like, you know like you know when something happens and like everybody texts you, they're like, oh, what happened? Like, are you okay? But then like, I don't know why, that like made me be like, I'm fine. Like, I don't know why, but it was because I grew up in Chicago. I was like, no, I'm good, I'm good. Like, you know, like just shoved it all down. And, like people kept asking me. I'm like, dude, I'm okay. Like, please don't ask me. Um, like, I'm okay, I'm okay. I didn't say, you know? And it was just hard, and I could tell that it you know, felt difficult. And so I went somewhere to do some work. And I was sitting in a coffee shop doing work, and one of my friends texts me. He says, oh, hey, man, are you OK? I'm like, dude, I'm fine. You know, like, I'm good. Don't worry about it. And then he's like, oh, where are you at? I'm like, oh, I'm here, here. So he shows up out of nowhere. He sees me. He walks over, and then he just gives me a hug. And then I start crying. And like, I hate crying, even though I do it publicly often it's such a paradox but like because like I was loved well in that situation because as we see in the life of Paul we can share in the difficulty and in the joys of life it's appropriate for us to share in the grace of God in graduations and celebrations and birthdays, this is the only church I've ever been to where you sing "Happy Birthday." I was so confused at first. I was <laughs> like, "Oh yay!" And then they asked me to play the piano one time, and I'm like, "I'm not David. I don't know." But it's, <laughs> <laughs> but there's like, oh, I was really nervous, but <laughs> but it's good for us to celebrate the joys of life, the weddings and the celebrations as people move on and up. But it is also appropriate for us to share in the difficulties of life, in the tears, when things are messy and complicated, when they're not easy and people aren't easy to love, and it's inconvenient, it is appropriate because we're partners in the gospel, because we're in it together, because Jesus Christ brought us together. And it is his love working in our lives and in the lives of others. So if today you are struggling, it's okay. It's okay to share. It's okay to cry with your family in the gospel, even if it's awkward, it's okay. And I'm certain that people would love to talk to you. It's okay to share in the difficulties of life, in the tears of life, and in the struggles. So we discussed how the gospel speaks to us in thanksgiving for our friendships, loving in our friendships. But the gospel also affects our futures, our hope in the gospel, in our friendships. And we see that in the third point, verses 9 through 11. This is Paul's prayer. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As we look into the final verses, we see the content of Paul's prayer for them. He hinted at it in verse four, saying this is what I pray for you. He hints at it throughout the gospel, but here we see the actual content. This is what Paul longs for their lives. This is his concern for them, his desire for them. He wants them to abound in love, to abound in knowledge and discernment, to approve what is good, to be excellent and pure, to be blameless, to the praise and to the glory of God, and to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. That's Paul's heart for them. His dream for them is to become more Christ-like, to grow in maturity, to grow in their spirituality. He And you know what's interesting here is that the content of this prayer can be assumed to be what Paul considers the area of growth that's needed for the Philippians. Because everything that he talks about here is elaborated on later in the prayer. For example, he he longs for them to grow in love, and he spends an entire chapter on humility. He wants them to abound in wisdom and discernment. He spends entire sections of the letter on how to have a gospel mindset. He says in this letter, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The areas that he's mentioning now are the areas that he elaborates. For example, he wants them to approve what is excellent, which we see again at the end of the letter in Philippians 4.8 when he reminds them, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So what he prays for them, it's what he's going to explain to them in the letter. This is what, or the areas in which he wants them to grow. They become the themes of the letter. And he longs for them to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. And you see that in verse 11, again, the gospel. That comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of And praise of God. This hope that he has for his friends is predicated on that, as we saw in verse six. It's predicated on the gospel working in their lives and working in his life so he can challenge them with the provision of God that they can grow. He's not challenging them out of anger or frustration or like a father that's disappointed, but as a friend that longs f- the best for his friends, and that is more of Christ. That is a gospel mindset that is amounding in love filled with the fruits of righteousness and that they would grow in this way for the day of Christ. So if you take all three sections as a whole, Paul is really talking about the past, the present and the future. As he thinks of their past friendship, he's thankful. As he considers them in the present, he's filled with love. And as he thinks about the future, he's hopeful for their growth. The love and affection and partnership that has been shared between them. And so he longs for them to keep maturing, to be filled with righteousness, not of their own strength, but that which comes through Jesus Christ. The beauty of the gospel, as we see in the life of Paul, it's not that we can just be thankful for each other, even though it's a wonderful thing. It's not just that we can love each other, even though it's a beautiful thing, but it's that we can encourage each other, that we can exhort each other, that we can pray for one another and hope for the best because of Jesus Paul can have this hope in their future because of the gospel. His hope for their spiritual growth and formation is grounded in the gospel. And he's so confident in it that he ends his entire section by saying, to the glory and to the praise of God. We too, here, we're coming to the end of the sermon, but we can grow together. We can hope for one another and we can pray for each other because we have been brought together too by the gospel. We all come from different parts of life and situations. I myself was born in Guatemala. I don't think anybody else here was other than my sister maybe. but We all come from different parts of the world and different families and different expectations. But we can certainly pray for one another and hope for each other too. Because of the gospel, we can pray for each other's growth, encouragement, and maturity in Christ. God is working in our lives and in everyone's lives here. We all have areas where we need to grow. I certainly do. And it is a tremendous blessing to have people around you to grow together. It is a tremendous blessing to have someone praying for you, like our elders pray for us. And there are times when this can mean a challenging and difficult conversation. And that's okay. And it's appropriate. And even if it's uncomfortable, the hope of the gospel is that we can grow together. The themes of friendship, which uh, are so thrown out through the gospel, the intimacy that is shared between them, grounded in the letter of Philippians. And we see how we can be grateful for each other because of what Jesus has done. And I thought that was really important considering that I feel, I could be wrong, but the world's getting more and more divided, separated. It's easier to find things that we disagree on It's easier to fight things that we fight about, but the gospel brings us together. You know, it doesn't matter. It brings us together. We're brought together in Jesus. That's a reason we can be thankful, because we're brought together in Jesus. That's a reason we can love each other, and because we're brought together in Jesus, that's a reason we can hope for each other, and hope for our growth, and hope that we would be filled, as it says here, with the righteousness of Christ. So let's take a minute to pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you that uh, we're able to come here and worship and that you are the one that brings us together, that you are the one that strengthens, that by your life, death, and resurrection, we are brought near to you And the hostility that also divided us is removed. And that we can, Lord, we can love each other well. Please help us, bless our community, strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.